Good morning, guys. Thank you, Phil, for that introduction. We're really excited to be here this morning and share with you guys. Instead of humor today, I'm going to start with a game, and my wonderful husband, Nathan, is going to be giving out prizes. So we've got some fun Asian candy, and it's not weird Asian candy. It's really good Asian candy, (laughs) so don't be nervous. All right, so we're going to play a game of true and false. I'm going to give a statement, and raise your hand if you think you know the answer, true or false. And I'm going to call on somebody. If you get it wrong, that's okay. We're still going to give you candy. (laughs) All right. So our first question, number one, true or false, there are about 17,000 people groups in the world. Raise your hand if you think you know the answer. You get candy no matter what. Mary. True. This is true. Correct. Yay. (laughs) All right. So there are about 17,000 people groups in the world. And a people group, basically what that is, it's a group of people that there's no barrier in spreading the gospel within that group. So there's no language differences. There's no cultural differences. That's what a people group generally is. All right. Number two. Of those 17,000 people groups, about 3,000 are less than 2% Christian. Do you think this is true or false? You got to raise your hand. Natalie. True. This one's actually false. It's a number trick. There are... (laughs) This is a number trick. There are actually 7,000 people groups in the world of the 17,000 that have less than 2% Christian. Okay? And this type of people group, when there's less than 2% that are Christian, they're called an unreached people group. You will hear that term later on. All right, number three. Over 20% of the world has no part of scripture in their own language. True or false? I'm a teacher. You've got to raise your hand. Yes. True. This is true. Correct. Oh, don't throw it. (laughs) That's why I had him do it, because if I threw it, I would hit everyone. (laughs) All right, so 20% of the world, 20% of languages have no part of the Bible in their language. There are some besides that that might only have like the New Testament or the stories of Jesus, but there's 20% of languages that have no scripture. They have no Bible. They can't, they can't read the words of Jesus at all. All right, number four, Buddhism is the fastest growing religion in the world. True or false? got to raise your hand, (laughs) Pete. (laughs) It is false. Do you have an idea what it is? It is. Islam is the fastest growing religion in the entire world. All right, number five. For every dollar given to missions, only about five cents goes to working with unreached people groups. Do we think this is true or false? It could be tricking you, (laughs) Susan. This one is actually false again. It's a number trick. Okay, so for every dollar given to missions, only about two cents goes to working with unreached people groups. All right? It's about 2%. Okay, number six is our last question. So this is your last chance to get our fun Asian candy. Number six, there are more people alive today that do not know Jesus than at any other time in history. True or false? Ben. This is, you have the slides. (laughs) Cheater. (laughs) This one is true. 
This is true. There are more people alive today that have never heard of Jesus than there have ever been in all of history. Okay. So now I've heard some statistics and we know kind of what the state of the world is, but what does that actually look like if you were trying to see it? So I need 10 volunteers for this next portion. I'm just going to start picking people if you don't volunteer. So (laughs) Jana, one, Katina. (laughs) <laughs> one, two, three, four, five. Nathan, Reese, six, seven. Pete, eight. Phil, not nine. Natalie, Nat- Natalie, Natalie. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Awesome. Okay, I'm gonna get down on the ground for this one so that everybody can see. Okay, so basically, what we're gonna do? This is the world in ten people. Not literally. <laughs> so we're going to break down what the world knows and believes about Jesus in these 10 people. So we'll start over here with Natalie. So Natalie, this one person, represents the small portion of the world that are basically on fire for Jesus. They have a strong personal relationship with Jesus, and they are engaged in discipleship. So Natalie, when I point to you, you're going to say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Perfect. (laughs) All right, so Katina and Jana, you two are going to represent what we call nominal Christians. (laughs) It's okay, it's just an example. (laughs) So a nominal Christian is someone who might go to church regularly or every once in a while, but they don't have a really strong personal relationship with Jesus. So when I point to you guys, you're going to say, Jesus is cool, but I'm busy. Just an example. Okay. <laughs> All right. So Natalie. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Woohoo! Jesus is cool, but I'm busy. Awesome. Okay. So now we've got four people. You four. Okay. So you four represent the part of the world that have access to Jesus. They might know about Jesus. They might have been invited to follow Jesus, but they've said no. Okay, so when I point to you guys, you're going to say, Jesus, no thanks. Jesus, no. <laughs> Very enthusiastic. <laughs> All right, Natalie. Jesus is my Lord Savior. <laughs> Jesus is cool, but we're busy. <laughs> Jesus, no thanks. Awesome. Okay. All right, so that leaves our last three people. These last three people represent the portion of the world that has never heard of Jesus. They have no churches, they have possibly no Bible in their language, they have no access. So it's not that they have heard of Jesus and have said no, they have not had the opportunity to say yes or no, right? So when I point to you three, you're going to say, Jesus, who's that? Jesus, who's that? Awesome. Okay. All right, so this is what our world looks like. Can we get a round of applause for our volunteers? (laughs) Okay, so thank you so much to our volunteers. So that's kind of a representation of what our world looks like today. 
So that's kind of showing you what the need is. And now my wonderful husband, Nathan, is going to tell you what exactly the need is for and how you guys are supposed to fill that need. It's always kind of weirded me out how we clap for people before they do anything because we don't actually know if they're going to say or do something good yet. What? I see. You know, that makes perfect sense now. Man. All right. So, like Sarah was saying, we've talked about what the world kind of looks like, and we've talked about what an unreached people group is. An unreached people group is a group of people who have never heard of the name of Jesus or who may not have access to the scriptures. Now, the passage that we received today to kind of work through and look at, it's in the book of Romans, and there's something unique about this passage, and it's that one unique thing that I want us to focus on when we get to it. So the passage is in Romans 10, and uh, it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so Paul is writing this book, the book of Romans, to a group of people about his own people, the Jews. How many of them had heard the gospel, some of them had never heard, and he's telling them, like, there's still a need out there. There's still a need to preach to these people. And he makes a comment, he says, how beautiful are the feet. And this is unique because of the day and time in which they lived. In that time of day, they, they didn't have Nikes, they didn't have Chacos or New Balance, they didn't have Jordans, they had sandals. Sandals made out of animal skins or wood. Right? When you walked around outside on the dusty roads or up in the mountains, like your feet would get cut up, they get dusty, they get dirty. The last thing you would think of when you looked at somebody's feet, if they were going somewhere, was, wow, those are some beautiful feet. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not something you would think. Right? You, would, you might look at the person, it's like, wow. That is a nice-looking person. Like, they're dressed nicely. They have, like, their hairs combed just right. Like, they look so good. And then you get down to their feet, and you're like, eh, I'll, I'll look back right up here. And yet Paul singles out that one part of the body and says, those are some beautiful feet. What is Paul talking about? What is beautiful about the cut-up, dirty, bruised feet of people who are going to share the gospel with people who have never heard before. There's another story in the Bible that I think might cast some light on why the feet are beautiful. Some of you will know it, some of you won't, and so I'll try to tell the story from beginning to end. It's the story of the prodigal son. And I'm sure when I say that, some of you nod your head and yet say, yeah, I know the prodigal son. Heard that story a thousand times. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm going to tell it again. And you're going to hear it from my point of view. So, picture in your mind a father and his two sons. The father's pretty well off. 
He owns a farm. He's living in an age where he is the leader of his household. His sons look to him for leadership, right? They are to give him honor. And in that relationship, there is meant to be a sense of honor, deference, and respect. And as long as they maintain that relationship with the father of honor and don't dishonor his name or his memory, the relationship is good. But there is one of his sons, the youngest son. We don't really know what happened to cause the son to react the way that he does in the story. But he goes up to his father and he says, Father, give me your inheritance. Now think about it this way. The inheritance was supposed to be passed to the sons upon the death of the father. So in essence, what this son is doing when he says, Father, give me your inheritance, he's not just asking for money. He's saying, I wish you were dead, Dad. Don't know what the father did to warrant this or even if he did anything to warrant this. But in that one act, the son disrespects his father and dishonors his family name and tells him, I wish you were dead. I want nothing to do with you. So the father, instead of responding in anger, gives the son his inheritance. There's no record of any words spoken between the father and his son. The son takes his inheritance, and then he goes away. It doesn't say where he goes. It just says he goes into a far country. You get the idea of a teenager who's just so tired of the rules of his household, and it's like, I don't care where I go. I just want to get far away from where I was. And so he just like, packs up and he goes. He gets to where he wants, wants to go, or thinks he wants to go. And he begins to live in frivolity. He's never had that much money before. He's like, man, I've got to spend all this right now, because I'm never going to have this much money ever again. And so he, he starts to spend. And the things that he spends his money on are things that continue to dishonor his family name. He goes to the strip clubs of his day. He goes to the gambling houses. He goes to the prostitutes on the corner of his street looking for something to fill a void. Or perhaps just looking to spite his father's name. I don't know. But regardless, his actions dishonored his father and continued to break that relationship. But then, as it happens with money, it's not a tree. You can't just keep on coming to it, and it keeps on coming. It ran out. And he found himself without a dollar to his name in a far country with no friends and no family. And to top it all off, a famine comes to the land. There's no food... People are struggling for food as it is. No one's going to give food to a homeless beggar if they don't even have food to feed their own families. And so the son, he goes to one of the people in the far country, and he says, look, I'll do anything. Just give me some food. Give me something that will keep me going from day to day. And so the man from the far country gives him doing a job that to a Jew at the time would have been dishonorable in the highest degree and made him a swine herd, taking care of the pigs. The pigs were an unclean animal to the Jews. And for him to be taking care of them, working with them, around them, 
not only was he dishonoring his family name now, he was dishonoring his heritage as a Jew in his relationship to God. This young man had sunk about as far as he could go. He was so low and he was so hungry that when he looked at the slap the pigs were eating, he said, oh, that looks good. That looks so good right now. He was that hungry. And then he comes to a moment. In the King James, it says he came to himself. And it's like, what does that mean? What does it mean for you to come to yourself? Well, in our modern vernacular, we might say something like this. He looked at himself in the mirror and said, what are you doing? Who are you? You're the son of a man who owned hundreds of acres where his servants never starved. And here you are lusting for the slop that the pigs are eating. And he says, you know what? There's no way that I'll ever be accepted back as a son. I have dishonored his name too much. But maybe, just maybe, I'll be accepted back as a servant. And if I vow to serve my father, maybe then I'll finally, finally be in a place where I can actually like, go to sleep at night and be safe. Where I can eat. Where I can feel decent about my life again. So he goes home. And it's funny, like, he even has a little speech that he says, this is what I'm going to say to my father. He says, I am... I have sinned in heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but please take me back as one of your hired servants. You can kind of, in your mind, if you're imagining it, you might even see him walking home. And he's saying this speech to himself over and over and over again. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me back as one of your hired servants. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me back as one of your hired servants. And so he walks home, and he gets to within seeing distance of his house, the home in which he grew up, the home in which he wished his father was dead, the home he left, put as much distance between himself and that home as he could, and he gets within seeing distance of the house. And he says, he's still saying to himself, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Take me back as one of your hired servants. And he looks up and he sees a figure in the distance. Running. Running to meet him. And he looks again. Who is that? And his heart starts to beat a little faster because he remembers, I have dishonored my family name. And because of that, I am worthy to be stoned to death by my people. Like under the law, I deserve to die. And he wonders to himself, is this person coming to kill me? Might even quicken his pace a little bit to try and get to the house. And then he realizes, I know him. That's my father running to meet me. 
and his father reaches him, and he throws his cloak around him. He says, get him a ring. Get him some sandals for his feet. My son's home. Why was the father running? The father was running because he realized the danger his son was in. He was like, my son has dishonored my name. My son has wished death upon me. But I don't care. He's my son. And I'm going to take him back. No strings attached. And he throws the mantle of familyhood over his shoulders and brings him into the house as if nothing had ever happened. I assure you that that son thought his father had beautiful feet. Beautiful feet that carried the father at a run from the home he had left and dishonored him to the embrace of familyhood again. In some of Jesus' last days on earth, after he had died, resurrected, he talks to one of his closest disciples, Peter. And he says, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my lambs. And then he says again, Peter, feed my sheep. What's Jesus telling Peter to do? He's saying, Peter, I have been the shepherd for a few years now. But I'm not going to be here like I have been anymore. My spirit will be with you. But I won't be here in physical presence to run to the people who need to have that cloak thrown around their shoulders anymore. I won't be there anymore to physically embrace people who have dishonored my name and bring them into a relationship of honor and respect. I'm not going to be there for that anymore in the way that I have been. That's your job now. You are meant to be my beautiful feet. My beautiful feet that will run to meet the people who live in shame, who live in dishonor, who live in pain, who are on their way home, whether they recognize it or not. And we're meant to meet them halfway. The sad thing about unreached people groups is that many of them get to that halfway point No one meets them in the middle. Not just unreached people groups around the world. They're here, too. There's people here in Knoxville who are living lives of shame, dishonor, pain, broken relationships. And they look at themselves in the mirror and they say, what am I? Not who am I. They've ceased to view themselves as a person. Now it's just, what am I? But the sad thing is that even in this county where there are hundreds of churches, there are still some people 
who will get to that halfway point and no one will meet them there. It might be because of the part of town that they live in. It might be because of what they look like. It might be because of their social, socioeconomic status. But for whatever reason, no one meets them in the middle. And you might say to yourself, Nathan, I'm not a preacher. It's not what I do. I don't even like talking to people. The gospel is so much more than that. You might ask yourself, what can I do? What can I do? Let me let you in on a secret. You can do anything. You say, you have to be a little bit more specific than that, Nathan. Saying you can do anything doesn't help me at all. Let's, I'll try and explain it a little bit better. God has gifted you to do something. For some of you, you're teachers. For some of you, you're coaches. For some of you, you have a passion for media. For some of you, you have a passion for um, caring for people. Use the passion and the gifts that you have to impact the people who are around you. So let's just be honest. You know, long before the father said anything, the son saw him and his actions of compassion. And that's what people are looking for. They're not always looking for what the words you say. They're wanting to see what makes you different. What makes you Christian and the rest of the world not? What makes you unique, special? Why is Jesus important? The way you choose to live and the way you choose to invest your gifts could be the tipping point for somebody at that halfway. Could be the thing that allows them to embrace that mantle of familyhood again and be embraced into the Father's household. And so, in closing, I suppose there's three different takeaways that you could take from this. And Tanner, if you want to come up at this time with the band, you can. There's three different takeaways that you can pull from this depending on where you're at. Maybe when you woke up this morning, you woke up, head in a fog, you rolled out of bed, staggered to the mirror, and you looked at yourself and you said, what am I? What have I done? What have I become? And it doesn't even have to be something that you're a bad person, right? You may not spend your money on strip clubs. You may not spend your money on gambling houses. You may not spend your money in ways that are openly dishonorable to God. You still feel that emptiness. Something on the inside of you that is just bare. It's bare. Lift your eyes up. Look up. And I assure you, in the distance, you can see the Father. 
he's running to you this morning. And he wants to throw his mantle of familyhood over your shoulders again. He wants to embrace you as his son, his daughter. For some of you, you're believers. In this world, you work day to day, and God has gifted you with something. He's given you a passion for something. Let me just challenge you. Think how your passion and your gift could be used to minister to somebody else. Think about how your passion, your gift could be used to meet somebody at that halfway point and let them know you've dishonored God, but regardless of what you've done, God desires to honor you and bring you back into his family. How are you going to meet that somebody at the halfway point? Go ahead and stand. I'm going to lead in prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning. And I thank you for the people that you've led into this room. I know that you have each and every one of them here for a purpose. Father, you're the one who sees hearts, not me. If there's anyone in this building tonight who doesn't know you as Savior, as Father, who has yet to embrace your mantle of familyhood and sonship, of daughterhood, I pray that you would meet them at the halfway point. That you would assure them of your love and bring them to yourself. Father, for those who claim your name, who say they are your children, I pray that you would ignite in them a passion for being your beautiful feet. for being the feet that carries your mantle to the halfway point and throws it around the shoulders of people that most would never give a second glance to. Father, I pray that this message, this truth would extend beyond this morning and reach into our week, that your Holy Spirit would bring it to our attention tomorrow morning when we wake up. And Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, that you would brand this into our hearts, that our lives would no longer be lived selfishly, that our lives would be lived for your honor, for your glory, and for the salvation of others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.